this is Accent, the Air University Teaching and Learning Center podcast. At Accent, we make connections between teachers, learners, and ideas in military education. The opinions, conclusions, and recommendations expressed or implied in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of Air University, the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other U.S. government agency. Follow us online at www.airuniversity.af.edu slash TLC or on Twitter at Air Teaching for more. Welcome to the Axon Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Megan Hennessy. I'm the director of the Air University Teaching and Learning Center, and I'm here today with two of my teammates, which is nice. Uh, so we're going to have a great conversation today about artificial intelligence and all that that means for communication, as that is a huge part of the Teaching and Learning Center's mission. Ms. Meg Varney is the lead writing specialist at Air University's Teaching and Learning Center. She has taught academic writing, communication skills, and English for speakers of other languages for 10 years and is a veteran of the U.S. Army National Guard, but I will not hold that against her oh. as a Navy <laughs> officer. And here we are in an Air Force environment. Working so. together. This is mutual ground, I think. <laughs> joint. <laughs> yes. Trish Harris is a communication specialist here also at the TLC. She has taught college-level academic and professional writing since 1989 and serves on the leadership team for two working groups focused on artificial intelligence and education. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Happy you to be here. Just across the hall, but yes. today we get to sit together and, and talk about other things. So let's dive right in. What is the buzz about chat GPT mm. and why are military educators so concerned about it? They are concerned, or not just military educators, but I would say out in you know academia as a whole, concerned about what this could mean or um, perceptions that these AI writing tools could take over for students, replace student writing, could be misused by students um, in the learning or writing process, um, and they're concerned about what that would mean for student learning, um, meeting outcomes, um, I've read some articles about student voice and expression in writing um, potentially being homogenized mm -hmm. by tools like this. And so there's a lot of, um, and, and I, I want to go back to the word perceived or perception, perceived concerns with these fairly new, quite new, I guess, tools that are now available widely and oftentimes free. One of the issues with ChatGPT from the start, because of when ChatGPT was first released on November 30th, the timing of that in um, higher education environments right before finals season and final paper season means that, or meant that, most educators and faculty members were exposed to the tool and its possibilities at a time when they were not prepared for what mm -hmm. they were seeing. At the same time, because it's not creating products that have a referent, Turnitin yeah. was not catching. Any. What's Turnitin? Turnitin is a plagiarism detection tool used in many higher education environments. And there are other similar tools and some learning management systems have their own built in, including Canvas has its own. However, um, Turnitin is the 
the dominant player in the field. And so the way that Turnitin works is that it has a database of all student work that's ever been submitted in the Turnitin licensed schools. And every time a new paper is submitted, if it's run through Turnitin, it compares that paper in any of its contents with any of the other uh, material that sits in the database. Since ChatGPT and other AI, AI writing tools are producing content that doesn't have a firm or stable referent, there's nothing to compare these new artifacts to. And so Turnitin was developed at a time when we were real kind, really kind of stuck in the Benjamin understanding of mechanical reproduction of original content. So when these tools were first released to the wild <laughs> and students and writers started using them, they're creating content that has no stable sourcing. And so we might have heard people mention that um, ChatGPT Chat and other tools like that need to be able to cite their sources, but they're not using sources in the way that we are accustomed to thinking of um, sourcing in mm -hmm. an academic environment. Instead, they're remixing the sources in order to um, in a stable way, reproduce the next sentence that might make the utterance that answers the question seem human-like. Mm -hmm. This is very sci-fi. It's so <laughs> sci-fi, but it's also what's happening right now, yeah. and it's really exciting. So the standard reading, or the first level reading, and this is from academics and from students I'm still in touch with, um, many um, undergrad and grad students with whom I've worked over time who were exposed to these tools um, when they were, for instance, interning at OpenAI before they were publicly available. It's like, oh yeah, I used that back in the day. But when I ask them about the stable uses that they found for these AI writing tools, they were using the tools for assignments that needed easy, low-level responses. Mm. You read my mind. I was just about to say, from an educational research and assessment yes. standpoint, if the AI is able to get at your summative assessment, then perhaps you need to rethink your assessment. Absolutely. And really, that's one of the first um, approaches that I would suggest using in a SOTL context if we were going to um, see what the impact might be. We could easily design a model because the control would be everything that's happened before. <laughs> but a model in which um, we try to meet the same stable um, learning outcomes on the other end, but we build um, a scaffolded uh, learning experience and this could be a writing experience or a um, human-generative content experience, not necessarily in a writing class, mm -hmm. in which instead of giving someone assignment, uh, someone a writing assignment, and then at the end you just expect a complete product, we instead um, scaffold the assignment in a way that maybe even integrates the low-level text generation capabilities of AI writing tools so that students can 
start working on higher level capabilities that we think we can't address in classrooms right now. That we are always thinking about wedging people in to their skill set. We need to start at this zero zero mm -hmm. sort of, um, every, and please forgive me, everything in my mind is, is graphed. So we're starting at Trisha's a, making graph signs with I'm her hands. I'm making graph signs with my hands. I'm making a, it's mathematics in the air here. But, um, but we're always thinking about starting with really baseline skills. How do you get a topic? How do you generate the um, common knowledge around this? How do you express that? And then maybe we can layer on style, strategy, other higher order um, thinking concerns. And I think that AI writing tools give us an opportunity in a study to instead say, what is it that we really value about that common knowledge? The fact that you can ask the right questions to generate the common knowledge. And what would we really value that we think we never have time to get at? And that's, what is that um, more densely theoretical or um, abstract or analytical connective tissue? How do you get to the larger, um, more important points? How do you see alignment or value between or among those um, key points so that you can get to a, the larger meaning and whatever it is that we're asking you to um, think about um, as the purpose of the assignment? What we can do is ask those questions that would typically have the person generate the common knowledge content and where many people get stuck and instead ask those questions of an AI writing tool mm -hmm. so that we can instantly get to the higher order concerns. We get to the value questions up front. Do you know how, do you even know what you're looking for? Do you know how to get to the common knowledge? Do you know how those might link together? Well, let's ask and see whether that basic information, um, and again, it's guesswork, on the AI writing tools part. They're you know, doing strat statistical predictions of what the language should be. And there is no referent, there's no stable referent, it's not citable. But as an assignment um, assistant, we could ask them to generate those questions, ask the AI writing tool the questions, so that we have what we would typically see is almost the body of the paper together. And then ask them to start asking um, the right questions to generate the higher level content. And use that as a practice exercise. So instead of saying, here is the assignment, miracle occurs here, 10 weeks later you have an amazing product, <laughs> you could say, let's spend three weeks performing this practice assignment. And what you've learned in the practice assignment, instead of getting wedged into the lower order skills, is you're learning how to do these higher order things. Mm -hmm. And you're learning the value of asking those right questions. So really, the case could be made for ChatGPT as a force multiplier. Absolutely. It is absolutely a force multiplier. Be and it gets us directly to the things that we think we can't hit in our courses. Because the second layer of the assignment is to say, okay, great, let's throw that away. <laughs> And now here's the real assignment, but we're going to use this, we will use the same model. Mm -hmm. We just won't use the AI writing tool this time. 
So it seems to me there's a lot that we could dive deeper into here. We've Absolutely. got the ethical concerns, we have instructional design questions, but Meg, what's the research say? Do, does this technology have advantages in military education and training environments? So at this moment, everything is so new that the research doesn't really say much yet. I'm sure that um, and Trish can speak a little bit more to this with some of the groups that she's involved in, um, that there is a lot already underway research in progress. Um, we've seen a few things come out that are a bit more official looking, such as a couple, really literally only a couple of peer-reviewed journal articles related to these type of AI writing tools, but they are not, they were not so much conducting data-backed research to suggest what the impact may or may not be for student learning or reaching outcomes or writing. Um, they were more uh, anecdotal or looking at trends in previous work on AI more generally, um, but these tools are so new that this is a really great opportunity for anyone interested in uh, contributing to the conversation by doing some research now is a great time to to jump in and do that so time for an intervention study <laughs> yes and one of the articles that we were talking about yesterday is sort of a starter lit review but since we really haven't seen um, published articles on ChatGPT or other AI writing tools yet I mean since November 30th the yeah. scholarly publication cycle is such that um, there really hasn't been time in the cycle yet for that, um, but they have um, a starter lit review mm -hmm. that I think would be useful for anyone who wants to come right. after and add to it. Yes. Yeah, and I think in that particular article and even one of the other articles, or the one of kind of two that exist, um, that's how they framed it as well, that this is just providing some foundational groundwork for further research to build on. And something that I think is interesting that I'm sure has happened in many other cases when new technologies emerge or become publicly available is we're, we're seeing at this time a lot of more, I don't know if we could call it like grassroots, like building up. So there's a lot of talking going on and a lot of conversations and a lot of work being done. It just hasn't been captured yet in a fully formalized process or way. So there's live documents that are being shared by people all around the world that are all contributing to it to make these collections of ideas and start that foundational knowledge so that we can get to the more um, specific research opportunities. Somewhere, someplace, there is a PhD student listening to this podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no. Writing their dissertation. What on a great opportunity to really get in <laughs> at the ground level and be one of the foundational scholars of Absolutely. this field of research that I'm sure is going to have so much to offer and to look at. And something we were talking about yesterday, Trish was making the point that, um, you know, because of the nature of AI and these AI writing tools, they are changing as we speak. Right. So even research right now, very soon in the future, suddenly is not fully applicable anymore right. because it's continuing to evolve and change all the time. So I think there'll be so many opportunities for continued research and then looking at the previous research and doing it again and again um, to, to see how things are adapting. Mm -hmm. And 
that's why with the research going forward, I would suggest that beyond um, elements or beyond developments like this initial lit review, that people f follow um, the most recent articles rather than um, mm -hmm. returning to December or January yeah. or even two weeks ago because as the tools develop and um, the, the, they're learning with every question that we ask, as the tools develop, we want to make sure that um, we're staying abreast of what they're actually capable of. People who are writing about ChatGPT in the first week of January, right. um, we're not seeing what ChatGPT can do now. Um, and certainly Notion released their own AI writing tool, what, yesterday or the day before? Yeah, um, feels like Canva every week there's another own, new one. Yes, has its own um, AI writing tool now because you know they're, they're everywhere. And in an article that um, almost everyone I know who's in deeply involved in uh, the AI and education groups or certainly in the leadership is writing at least half a dozen articles right now. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that, um, to address something that you had asked a minute ago, Dr. Hennessy, um, one of the things I think that we need to think about when we think about um, military education environments um, as well as the rest of higher ed is to think about how we respond or um, react. We always want to make sure that we respond rather than react. But in one of the papers that I'm working on right now with Dr. Yoncheva, we're talking about or trying to parse the three possible responses that higher ed and, um, institutions could have to products like this. And the first is just to say, this is scary, this is bad, or this is a trend, let's just ban it. Um, the second is to say we will allow it or we will admit that it exists, but we will put this kind of chokehold on it and they'll be very explicit in terms of policy, the way the technologies um, might try to shut it down or limit its use or you know, the way that syllabi you know, need to have X standard language or whatever that might be. And the third approach would be and you can define what embrace means institution by institution, but is to embrace it. And we were talking yesterday um, in terms of using this framework going forward with research. Um, I think that that would be a useful framework for institutions who want to measure and evaluate how ChatGPT has had an impact on teaching and learning. There's a parody in there somewhere about which branch of the military will adopt which of those oh, three. Oh, oh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I just said that. I was already choosing in my mind what would be. I know one, you were, but I'm, but I'm not going to say it. Oh, well, wow. so things like this, especially when you start talking about <clears throat> academic integrity mm -hmm. and all of that, all that that means. Um, most especially in a workforce development culture, which mm -hmm. professional military education essentially is, we're developing national security professionals. Mm -hmm. These things, these conversations can start to feel very emotionally charged and personal. Mm -hmm. And I know you have experience with this. You gave a webinar a couple weeks ago on this topic and the attendee response was mixed. Mm -hmm. Where there was enthusiasm, there was also some consternation. 
sometimes some very enthused consternation. <laughs> and one attendee even suggested that there were some, not only issues with your own credibility, you were accused of knowing nothing about the military, mm-hmm. um, which is funny for an Army National Guard vet, <laughs> medic no less, with combat right. experience. Yeah. Uh, but also, they took issue with your verbiage, specifically the word equitable, mm. as just a meaningless buzzword. Mm-hmm. What are your, here's your chance yes. to respond. Thank you. Thank what you are for your this. thoughts? <laughs> Thank you for this opportunity. Well, I think to keep it focused on what our conversation is here today, um, which that webinar was on the same topic, uh, mostly, um, at that time, I think there was a bit of a misunderstanding with what we were talking about when it came to equity versus the use of these kind of AI writing tools. In that moment, we were addressing, when we can even circle back to what we started the podcast with here today, which were the concerns and the fears that people have that could perhaps drive them back to previous practices in the classroom. For example, handwritten assignments, timed writing, not that those completely don't exist today, but going back to rely on them on the, on the main means of assessment. Um, and that there are, as has been studied and researched and shown for many years now, um, concerns for those kind of approaches when it comes to having students in your classroom. If you have a learner-centered classroom that acknowledges that students are coming from different places, different backgrounds, different educational experiences, different languages, different cultures, uh, different personal challenges, that some of those practices, like handwriting in a timed environment in a classroom, do not allow everyone to be as successful as they could be and provide some or create some barriers for them. So that was the point we were making there. When we were talking about AI writing tools, I think Trisha's example earlier where she described how you might use it to scaffold a learning process and to get to those higher order thinking skills, again, as a, as a tool, you called it something in the moment, but I can't remember what you said now. Me neither. It must have been we'll super just, good. Yeah, we'll, we'll replay just it. We'll rewind. replay it. Yeah, yes. we'll, yeah, we'll rewind. Just, or you can, maybe they can, uh, you know, put those words back in. But um, that that's an example of how a writing tool like this, uh, ChatGPT or the others, could be used to create a more equitable, and we can even replace the word equitable here, right, with learner-centered mm-hmm. approach that w- to the benefit of learning, of meeting the outcomes, of meeting authentic outcomes through authentic assessment. And so it's not so much that these tools automatically create equity or lead to an equitable outcome or equitable practices. But again, the word, the word tool, I think, is key, that mm-hmm. they can be used and abused, right? So they can be used to our benefit uh, as, as partners and um, force multipliers. That's oh, what it was. that was the word, yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Force multipliers, or they could be abused where they're being used to replace thinking or replace learning. And so it's, um, so that's what I think the clarification of what some of those comments were to in response to our webinar. Yeah, I mean, Trish, is there an analogy to be made here between chat GPT and a calculator? No. And I would suggest that Maybe and, you could say yes and no. 
because it's out there. A lot of people are making it. Well, I will acknowledge people that are people it. are saying it. That's okay. my yes. All right. But my no is that a calculator always has a definite answer and is programmed to work against um, or work with, but I'm sorry, he's a math, mathematics person, to work against known um, variables and information and then produce an absolutely correct answer. And ChatGPT and other AI writing tools will not have an absolutely correct answer. Um, they're working um, with a statistical model of how humans might complete utterances. And the might removes any AI writing tools from the um, explicit correctness of a calculator. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Very well said, yeah, thank you. I think though the, just for the people out there who are like, but we think it is similar. I think that's absolutely correct, of course, what you said, that when we look at the technologies, that we can't make an analogy really. But what I've seen people expressing is more the similar concerns and fears when the calculator was introduced into the classroom to say, well, it's going to replace our students' oh, thinking. In that way, yes. Right, in that they're, now they can just punch it in and there's the answer and right. they're done. And then at that time, though, because now who who hasn't used a calculator in a class, you know? Right. And I think I had classes where the whole point was learning how to use your calculator even better yes. to do all these really right. advanced things. And so at the time, there was that concern, mm -hmm. but then uh, approaches adapted and you know, the educational world adapted mm -hmm. to make use of, benefit, maybe even as a force multiplier again, uh, this tool that was available because it, it, was, it was part of the landscape. It wasn't going away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, well said, and I appreciate that, that clarification or that angle on it. And so to... Um, quick responses there as someone who has managed, led, and developed physics and maths tutors who are incredibly well-prepared, gifted people, <laughs> um, but who worked with many um, under-prepared or unprepared um, maths and physics college students, one of the things that we noticed was the lack of ability to perform mental math or perform calculations independently because of dependence on calculators and just because of um, different teaching practices um, based on wherever it is that they received their maths or early sciences educations. And one of the problems that um, I think exists within that analogy of ChatGPT as a form of calculator and, and that it might take away this thinking ability is that we're assuming that educators will do the same thing with communication that they've done with maths in that way, that they'll introduce it and think, well, this will help and, um, and then not teach people how to independently mm -hmm. construct entry points to the communication that they produce. And so if you think about a maths model, students are typically working from a worksheet and they're plugging those values in with the operator and trying to receive a specific result. In most writing tasks, the question is more open-ended. And so people still have to construct that entry point, even if they're doing what we call prompt engineering by asking the questions of the AI writing tool. 
um, I think one, it's so new right now that we haven't done this yet, but I think one really important missing component in the whole conversation right now is good public education about what AI writing tools can and cannot do and what they're designed for and what they're not designed for. Because obviously um, the media and other sources want to capitalize on the shock value of um, no, you know, never. this is a better <laughs> this is a better way to Google things. It's just you know Google that you can yeah, Google Plus Google Plus, which is not at all what it um, not at all what it is. And we don't realize, I think, in, until we're educated about it, that every time we ask it a question, we're engineering the next level version of the product. The, the software is learning all the time right. based on... We're feeding into it. We're feeding process. into it because PE or prompt engineering is a real thing. And so most computer programs are written, and as, as are these, are written with um, scripts full of commands. And so if you give a program a certain input, it will give you a very specific output based on the command that's been written into the code. And here that exists, but also we have um, a series of questions. It, the algorithm learns through the questions. And so every time we input a certain question, it's coded to learn from that question and then modulate or change its response to all the rest of them. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. I mean, does this freak you out? Because as you're describing this, Sorry. I'm thinking of uh, that HBO show, not endorsed by the Air Force, yes. <laughs> uh, The Last of Us. My yes. husband and I yes. gave Don't it. Don't spoil anything, though, because okay. I have not. So we gave it a try it. last yes. night. We, okay. we had to turn it off like yeah. 30 minutes in because mm -hmm. it creeped us out so much yes. but yeah. it's very um yeah. congruent with what you're describing in yes. terms of organic terms like yes. feeding upon yes. adapting yes yeah that's for yeah. me actually as i've gotten into it more mm -hmm. and learned a little more of the science behind it i feel less freaked out by all yeah. of it and I think part of it, like with those words, and I'm not at all critiquing the words that you were choosing, but yes. because that's how we talk about things, right? And yes. these things that feel a little more human, we yes. tend to talk about it in that way, which then gives the sense that yeah. it is human, it is thinking in yes. the way that our brains think, right? So I think there's a difference between if we're going to talk about things like and I don't know that these are even the exact right mm -hmm. terms here, so correct me, Trisha, but like machine learning, right? Machine thinking is different from human brain yes. learning, human brain thinking, but yes. those terms sound all the same to all of us. And, right. and I think especially if you look at, and this um, goes back to, I mean, just every area is an area for research, right? <laughs> right now, because everything is just new. Mm -hmm. But if we're going back to concerns once more, we can see how some of the recent uh, releases of these types of tools or searches, again, not endorsed by the Air Force or Air University, <laughs> but Microsoft Bing, yes. right, that yes. it's been responding in ways that sound not just human-like, where yes. ChatGPT still is a little superficial, a little distance, right. right, from feelings and emotions, whereas Microsoft Bing was kind of Emotional. attacking people and, like, <laughs> saying negative things to them and oh, being no. passive-aggressive, right, and, and it really went off the rails, but it was because of the science behind it, not because it was thinking, let me say this thing towards this person. Um, so right. I think 
And when we think about large language models, we think, well, surely this is only data behind it. You know, this is only like, you know, all of the encyclopedias in the world, all of the, you know, academic knowledge in the world. But really, the large language models include um, anything that's been up, upvoted to three levels at Reddit, Reddit for instance. Yeah. And so there's a lot of affect right. influenced or Just inflected the, language that's right. there. We know and what's so out there. If you learn, and that's some of the people who have been able to elicit those sort of, um, and again, I will confess, I am the worst anthropomorphizer <laughs> ever. I will, and I can, and hello, pen. You know, I, I will, anything is uh-huh. a, will have some sort of um, qualities of affect if you leave me in a room with them long enough. So, <laughs> but, but it's, I think you're, but that language is there. Right. And so if you engineer the prompts in a way that will um, elicit, because think about it, it's just, it's continuing to fold out the language based on what it thinks a human would say. If you ask ask it a question, if you engineer the prompt in such a way that you're pulling out those affect, you know, centric ideas or utterances, then you're going to get, based on the way that you've engineered the prompt, uh-huh. you're you're going to get something that seems human-like, emotional, et, et cetera. It's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. I'm hearing is that chat GPT is not a human killing fungus. No. <laughs> I don't know if you're spoiling something for me in the show by saying no, that. But no, <laughs> I think, yeah. And, and you said something earlier that I just want to backtrack to, which mm-hmm. is that it it responds to prompts in a way that a hu- it thinks a human would. But I think that's also not quite, I think that's making it seem a little more human in that it's not that it's thinking oh this no, is what a human thinking. would say i'll do this it's right. all the probability that word really yes. helped me to get a grasp yes. on how this is working and that it's just doing so fast right it is working very fast so it sounds like they're just coming up with a thought exactly but it's just this it's probability thinking. right and it's pulling the words together yeah. from what humans have already produced and yeah. so it is yeah. a very impressive but very distinctly machine yeah, it's definitely using working with um, a statistical model of, of human language right. in order to produce right. these utterance-like It is not producing outputs. its own original language. There is, right, there is no original language. And that's why the prompt engineering is so important. And getting back to military education, I think that it's in those initial questions, we tend to, in any learning environment, we tend to issue prompts that we hope will elicit a certain um, thought and um, analysis or strategic or whatever it happens to be response from our learner writers. One thing that the addition of AI writing tools to the learning environment might, um, one thing that that addition might require of us as educators is that we build that layer of teaching people how to design the right kind of questions or prompts. We've always assumed they were doing that for themselves. And I think that it's time, I think that this, in a way, could be the driver for helping people um, do prompt engineering within the human model. Yes, I think that goes back to your earlier question thinking about assessments Mm -hmm. and, and that could this change the way we're thinking about assessments or the way that we're yes. framing our assessments? And 
I think that's the hope is that this will be an impetus to design assessments in a way where those higher order thinking skills and application and doing and creating are are what's happening beyond Mm -hmm. what ChatGPT is quite capable of doing, which is the retelling of what the information already says. So I think we've established that we need to meet back here in a month <laughs> see the, and see, see what's what adapted are. and yeah. fed off of our data since then. Um, not like a fungus, but still in my mind as well. Right. I want to end just as we're wrapping up with a question for Meg. wanted to give you an opportunity as the Teaching and Learning Center's lead writing specialist. Here's your platform. Tell the Air University and PME community what you would like them to know about this type of technology from your perspective of leading a writing lab that serves a thousand students a year? Mm -hmm. I think I would hope that others would have the opportunity to learn a little bit more of the science and how it works so some of their fears might be assuaged and that they can start to, kind of like we were just talking about, see this as a a great opportunity to rethink assignments, rethink the process of writing, rethink how these tools might be a contributor to student learning and student writing. And I think all of that, and this is the kind of my recurring theme this whole year, which has tied in well to this, which is all of that then hinges on a more learner-centered approach. And I think there's that's a whole other podcast as well. We could talk about all the things that that entails, but that's really the gist of it is if we're, can, if we can use this as an opportunity to move even more into these learner-centered strategies in the classroom, it it benefits the student, it benefits us, it benefits the outcomes, it benefits, right, in our particular case here in military education, national security, and all of that involves. And so I would love for this to be a time where we can all continue the conversation together, and, and this is an opportunity for us to support faculty in that work to say, hey, this is, we have experience doing this, whether it's writing or other types of work that's being done in the classroom, let us support your efforts to integrate even more learner-centered practices and at the same time see if there are any opportunities to incorporate these kind of tools again as a learning tool not as a replacement for thinking or learning absolutely meg varney and trish harris with the air university teaching and learning center thanks for joining us today thank you thank you so much thank you for listening to accent the Air University Teaching and Learning Center podcast. Stay current on these and other ideas in military education by following us online at www.airuniversity.af.edu/tlc or on Twitter at Air Teaching.